Hi, I'm Lori. And I'm Andrea. We're excited to welcome you to the We Should Probably Talk About That podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us, and we can't wait to make it awkward. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the We Should Probably Talk About That podcast. I'm Lori. This is Andrea. Hi. And we are back. You guys, we're so excited to have you here with us today. We are going to be talking about chameleon behavior today. So for those out there that don't know what that is, Andrea, why did we decide to call it that? What would you say chameleon behavior is? Chameleon behavior to me is um, changing who you are for someone else or not having a voice and... um, it's a people pleasing tendency, I think. Yeah. And, and it can lead down a pretty significant, you know, self abandonment path in a lot of cases, you know, and I, I shared an example for me, like I dated a guy who loved the Chicago Cubs. And then I found myself saying that I loved the Chicago Cubs, even though I really didn't, but he bought me a hat and he bought me a Jersey. And so I became a Cubs fan Yeah, and just decided I was a Cubs fan. So that's kind of a small, and I'm not, I'm an angels fan. I mean, I, yeah, Are you I'm sure? An, I, I <laughs> After living in California and going to a lot of Angels games, I would definitely say the Angels are my team. Yeah. But for years, I just kind of casually followed the Cubs because of a relationship from who knows how long ago. You're, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So when the relationship was over, did you continue to like yeah. them? Yeah. I still have a Cubs keychain on my key. <laughs> It's time to take that off, girl. It's time to take that off. Um, So that's just one basic example. Another example we were chatting about before we got on here and started to record was I shared with Andrea, when I started dating, when I was about 40, I don't know what it was. Was sushi new on the scene in Ford? And when I was 40, like 10 years ago, because every first date I went on, they would say, do you like sushi? Mm. And I would say, yeah, I do. And at the time, I did not really? like sushi. No, I didn't like the texture. I did, and I realized later what it was I didn't like. I didn't like the seaweed paper. So California rolls and stuff. Now I know I wasn't educated, but and I also suck at chopsticks. <laughs> and when you're dropping your roll or whatever it's called, you know, yeah. trying to eat gracefully in front of a new date, that's just not funds but yeah i can't tell you how many first sushi dates i went on and that was totally like yes i love sushi so you chameleoned into a sushi lover i I did when actually i like it now like if i'm with people and they want to go there sure i'll have a california i know how to order now Mm -hmm. but if i'm by myself and i want to go get some food i won't ever pick sushi yeah that's interesting yeah yeah and another one for me um i dated a guy that was the world's biggest pearl jam fan and i became a Pearl Jam fan and I just decided that they were my favorite band and I love them too. And I became a member of their VIP early access exclusive, whatever. And I mean, that was probably 16 years ago and I still get emails. No, I still get monthly emails. I've been getting a monthly email no, from you Pearl Jam for 16 years. Do you want me to show you how to unsubscribe to an email? Uh, I'm still deciding if I like them or not. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I think it's. I think there's still a chance, so I might yeah. keep liking them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Um, another way that I think I was a chameleon was in my second marriage, We, I met my husband playing softball. So 
at the softball field at a lot of tournaments, people would drink beer while they played. Some tournaments didn't allow it, but some did. I was not a beer fan back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But to go along with the behavior of everybody else on the softball diamond, I too would drink beer. Hmm. And I would kind of change who I was to kind of fit in in a way. Yeah. Um, to be accepted or what, you know, whatever that people pleasing thing we were talking about. Another way I kind of find that I used to do it is when people I would go out with, or even my husbands would say, Hey, what do you want for dinner? I knew that they would rather go to a certain place. So I'd be like, Oh, I don't care. You pick when I really would be in the mood and craving something. And so I was kind of betraying myself and my wants at the time just to make things easier, which Mm. chameleon behavior is super close to codependency too. And it's not only small things like this, but it can be very big things too. Yeah. And I think chameleon behavior often silences the person who is changing for someone else because you're the whole idea is I don't want to make waves. I'm not going to say what food I'm craving because he is probably craving something more and I'm just going to make it easy. I'm just going to go along with it. And it kind of silences you in a lot of ways. Yeah. And when you're doing it early in a relationship, you lose who you are. Yeah. Because you're forever stuck liking Pearl Jam. (laughs) If you were that dude, if you were with that dude, you'd still have to go to their concerts and be a Pearl Jammer or whatever (laughs) their fan club is called. Eddie Vedder all the way. Look at you knowing their names. Of course I do. I wouldn't know their names. So I'm very proud of you. Well, I think I'm going to, when you mentioned about that it can get really out of control and can kind of spiral you into a completely different place, I'm going to share, I'm going to share what I have kind of decided to call a 10 year path of self betrayal and loneliness that I really carefully disguised as a faith journey and a happy life with my second husband. And it wasn't, it wasn't a happy life. And, um, so so when I when I met my second husband, I had just gotten home from uh, I'd been in Ukraine for a month, and then I'd gone to Peru for about a month. So I'd been on back to back trips, and before I went before I went on those trips, I was kind of in and out of the Mormon Church, and um, I'd already gone through one divorce, which was a very Mormon wedding and divorce. Um, and since that time, I just kind of didn't know where, where I belonged. Yeah. It was hard to be 23, divorced already. Um, in Utah. In Utah. And the majority LDS at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. And so I spent about five years just not sure. I'd go to church and I'd feel good about it. And then I'd feel weird. And I moved a couple times and I had roommates that wanted to go to church. So I'd go with them. But I just kind of had one foot in one foot out Mm. for several years. And when I, when I was in Peru, I kind of, there were, I went on a five day jungle trek to Machu Picchu and it was a very, um, lonely experience because I didn't spend very much time with people that spoke English. And so I just had a lot of time to just really think and a lot of conversations with myself and, and really on that, on that trip to Machu Picchu, I, uh, decided that when I came home from there, I was going to be done with the Mormon church. And, um, on that, 
on one of the evenings we got to this little place that we were staying and I met three people. We were sitting around a campfire and I met three people that were from the Bible Belt and they were just these really friendly Christian people and we got into a conversation about religion and um, and they shared with me that they knew a little bit about Mormons and of course they had all the questions about multiple wives and do Mormons have horns and everything. And <laughs> there's course. a little bit of debunking of Mormon myths to do there. But, but my takeaway from that conversation with them was that they said, why, do, why does one denomination, why does one faith have to be true? How, how can they claim to have the full truth? And why can't we all just really be kind to each other and, and live how we want to live and help people and, worship our own version of a higher power however that may look and it just was a really was a really sweet conversation to be involved in and and it made me really believe that that i i do believe in a higher power and i do want to be a good person and have some sort of moral compass or but but it was yeah i can't keep believing that this religion of my childhood is the full and only truth because it it just wasn't working for me anymore. And um, so anyway, fast forward to coming home from that trip in Peru. And I hadn't seen my parents for a couple months. And so I went over to their house to visit them the next day. And when I got there, my younger brother was there with his friend who ended up becoming my second husband. And Mm. he was a Protestant. He was an evangelical Christian and um, was really intrigued with him right away because I knew that I didn't want to not have any type of God in my life or I didn't know what it would look like. And honestly, I was so sheltered in my Mormon upbringing that I wasn't even aware until I was in my 20s that there were churches in Utah that weren't Mormon churches. I can see that. (laughs) There's Mormon churches on every corner almost. There there are. Yeah. So it was like, I just didn't notice. I I don't know if I thought these other buildings were just like museums of (laughs) former religions that died in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it was a big experience for me to realize that there are multiple denominations and different churches and faiths everywhere in Utah. And I took a deep dive into this faith journey. Um, and I started, you know, and my second husband, he was, he was helpful to me in this, but it was also something I wanted to do on my own. And so, um, he introduced me to a few people and to some pastors and stuff. And I started reading, I started reading books, um, by Christians, by Mormons. Um, I read a lot of Sam Harris stuff and he's an atheist. He wrote letter to a Christian nation and the end of faith. And then Ravi Zacharias wrote a rebuttal book to the end of faith called the end of reason. And I just got deep into these books. And I, I read a book by a, a guy named David Rowe, Dr. David Rowe, who was a professor at the Salt Lake theological seminary. And I don't think that exists anymore, but he wrote a book called I heart Mormons. I read that book and And then I just called the theological seminary and was like, yes, I'd like to make an appointment with Dr. Rowe, please. And I famous author, Dr. Rowe. (laughs) I didn't know if (laughs) you got to make appointments there or if you had to be a Christian or whatever. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we can see if he will meet with you. And he was happy to meet with with me. So I went to the seminary and met with him. And 
And then I, and then he gave me a list of some churches to try. And I started going to, I mean, I'd sometimes go to two or three a week, just depending on different denominations, different denominations. Yeah. And within a few months, I'd probably visited 25 to 30 different churches and I'd fill out the welcome card at every church and all but one called me back. And I met with the pastor of every church, except one of them and just asked all my questions. And, and in the moment it was a really like invigorating experience to just hear of all these different denominations kind of under the one Christian umbrella. Um, And then my second husband, he, he was still in the picture just kind of to answer questions and we'd start, we started hanging out more Um, But I was very clear that I never wanted him to come with me. But he at the time was working at a Christian ministry in Salt Lake. And his boss was a ex-Mormon who had become a Christian. And they co-wrote, him and Dr. Robert Millett, who was the Dean of Religious Education at BYU, they co-wrote a book called Bridging the Divide. And so I read that book and then I started meeting with my, my ex's boss and then I'd go to BYU and meet with Dr. Millett and so okay so were you guys dating at this we, time or just friends we were just friends okay okay yeah. I just wanted to see where we were at there yeah we I mean by that point we were spending so much time together that a lot of people assumed we were dating sure. and people would say why do you say you're not because you, everything you do says you are but it took us I wanted to focus on this faith thing for yeah, myself and I like so I it. really was intentional about not mixing you know romantic relationship in there but we did spend a ton of time together and and one of the things that Dr. Millett said to me on one of my visits to BYU was you know he was really he'd give me a different one of he'd written a ton of books and he'd give me a different book every time I went down there and I'd read it and we'd talk about it and one of the things that he said that stuck with me was entering into evangelical Christianity out of Mormonism feels like freedom, but over time it starts to become chaos. And at the time I was like, no, I just want freedom. I'm going to stick with that freedom thing. And, but it really did eventually turn to chaos for me. And it, I kind of spiraled into this version of myself that was really, really self abandonment. And, um, I became a Christian and, uh, officially started dating this guy and and I did the Christian thing and when you know I went to he was leading a prayer seminar one time in Salt Lake or hosting with a pastor from out of state and I attended this prayer seminar and then on the last night of this seminar they did what was called corporate prayer and it was this big auditorium of a church and there was probably about a hundred people there and they broke us off into about groups of eight into circles and and the idea of corporate prayer is that you just keep praying and they had it go on for an hour where you're sitting there with your little group of eight somebody starts praying and then prayer is supposed to continue for a full hour just okay so i have to clarify are you praying in your head like some religions do or are you praying out loud no it's out loud so there's multiple groups of people praying out loud and you're just supposed to focus and kind of hone oh, wow. in on your little group. So everyone knows your prayers. Everyone knows your prayers. <laughs> and and it was that is not something I'd ever experienced in Mormonism yeah. and it was really really uncomfortable for me and and I kind of looked at the you know the guy that I was starting to date and hoping that he would recognize that this was uncomfortable for me and 
but as people were praying, I noticed like, okay, she's prayed, he's prayed, she's, there's no, there's been no break. Everyone's just really knows how to do this. It's like when you get called on to read aloud Uh in school, you're dreading your turn. Yeah. And it got to where it was like, I was almost the last one in our circle that hadn't prayed and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. It was really, really intimidating. And I'd noticed that my phone and my purse had buzzed several times like someone was trying to call me and I ignored it the first couple times and finally I leaned over and pulled my phone out and saw that my youngest brother was trying to call me and he's not the type that keeps trying if I miss a call so I excused myself and went out into the lobby and called him back and he told me that he'd just been in a car accident close to my house in Salt Lake and I was like, yes, thank you. I'm so glad you got in a car accident. (laughs) You saved me. (laughs) He was fine, but it was a real big relief that I needed to leave and go help my brother. And, um, And in that moment, when I left that church, I remember thinking, this is not who I am. This is not comfortable for me. This is not my belief system. This is too much, too fast. I'm losing myself in this. And... But by that point, I already felt invested enough in in the changes I was making in my life for someone else. And my interest in him was enough that I didn't feel like I could turn back. back. Wow. And a lot of it had to do with my first divorce and feeling like I was I was unlovable. I didn't deserve to be loved. I was never going to find somebody that would accept my story. Everything that I'd gone mm. through up until that point, I had decided that I didn't deserve to be loved. And so when I met this guy who I really believed liked me, yeah. I convinced myself that he would love me if I became what he needed me to become. Right. And that makes it easier because then you don't have to search for A, who you are, and B, another guy to love you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so we ended up, I became a Christian. We got married in a Christian church with a pastor and did, we did the Christian thing for the full 10 years that we were together. We moved to California shortly after we got married. Um, we had three kids pretty quickly and we enrolled them in Christian, private Christian school. Um, their whole, their whole California experience from the time they were born until, we moved here was all Christian. Um, and I fully embraced that life, but the whole time I felt like I was living someone else's life. I didn't feel like I was myself. I didn't feel comfortable being myself. And that's a pretty extreme chameleon feeling to go a decade, a quarter of my life I spent really being aware that this isn't who I am. Right. But I'm still going to I'm still going to keep doing it. And um and you know and I I don't have negative things to say about the the experience in California. I really loved the school that my kids went to and I got really involved in the school and I um you know I became the PTA president for several years and I was, I loved it. And all of my friends were Christian and my kids loved their experience. And so it wasn't like I hated it. It just, it just felt like I was putting on a show for other people. It felt like I was constantly aware of how I needed to behave so that my husband would continue to love this version of me that he 
wanted in a wife. Right. Because really, they all have the foundation of the Christian church and their love for the church mm-hmm. and built on it. You skipped the foundation in a way, but you're building on it, building friendships. Your kids are ingrained in the school system and you're happy, but your foundation isn't there. So it feels like a betrayal. Yeah. 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 And that, that started to get to me, that self-betrayal became too, too much for me to handle. And I wasn't happy in my marriage. I never felt, I felt like I went into my marriage with a lot of secrets, even with lies or with just artificial feelings and behavior. And, and I, after, after about seven years of marriage, I couldn't handle my life. I couldn't handle the reality that was my life because it felt so artificial. And, um, and I started to struggle with an addiction because I had to, I had to be numb. I had to, I was desperate to escape from myself but you never thought to leave you never like imagined if I could just leave and get out of this no I never I never did it never it truly never occurred to me and I think part of it looking back now I think part of it was I've already failed at this once and I am not gonna fail at this twice I relate to that like I was a stay-at-home mom all of my friends I was I was the strong friend and I had to be the show everybody how strong yeah yeah and so I couldn't tell anyone what I was struggling with because all of my friends kind of needed me to be the version that I of me that they knew yeah and so yeah leaving was not an option and I never you know I never thought of cheating I never thought of divorce it was just this is I'm gonna do this I'm gonna hunker down white knuckle it Yeah. yeah yeah and and then um when I finally knew that I had to leave was after three years of struggling with an addiction, I hit my rock bottom. Uh, you know, and rock bottom looks different for everybody. You yeah. know, we're, if you're on a downward spiral, we're all in the same elevator and you can get off on any floor, yep. you know? And so I, my rock bottom for me though, it really was a moment where I thought if I stay, if I stay here, I'm going to die. Uh, that that's a hard look in the mirror. Oh, I to, can't even imagine to wake up and say this. I can't. I have to find the disconnect between the life that I want and the daily practices that I'm engaging in that are keeping me from that life. And and in that moment, I had to take radical ownership of my life and that everything, everything in my life, all the hard stuff and the dark stuff and the failed relationships and the self-abandonment it was all me yeah it was my decisions that got me to all of those places and it's sure easy to blame it on other people yeah but it wasn't it wasn't anyone else nobody did that to me yeah no one held a gun to your head my decisions got me to those places yeah and that's a that's a long and lonely road back um I got to the place where I was so sick of my own bullshit that I had to own my experiences and, and get help. And that's so common. People face issues like this. They self-betray. They, you know, whether it's addictions with food or drugs or alcohol or sex, or they go out of body Mm -hmm. to cope because they don't know how to get out of what they've chosen. Yeah. 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 So I ended up, taking that first step 
out of that dark place. And, you know, that's probably a completely full episode or two on its own. But um, I finally separated from from my kid's dad three and a half years ago. And essentially, I mean, I don't know if I would say left the Christian faith, but I don't, I'm not a religious person anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm a spiritual person and I know there's something much bigger than me that, that I acknowledge as a higher power, but I am not, I'm not religious. And coming back to Utah, you know, bringing my kids back here, you know, it's, it's a big deal for them because they, they don't know anything about the Mormon faith because they were raised with me and their dad and the Christian faith. And they started going to a public school when we got here. And, you know, and at the time the California schools were all closed because we moved during the pandemic. And when the Utah schools opened and my kids were masked and, you know, didn't know anyone. And I was all worried about those things. And it was funny because they come home from their first day of school. And the only thing that they all had to say was, mom, they don't sing worship songs or pray at this (laughs) school. We don't. We don't. (laughs) So yeah, there's been a lot of things that I've just had. And it was cute. And you know, I'm just I want my kids to I want my kids to ask questions. I want them to figure out what they want to do and what path they want. And and if they want to be religious, if they, whatever they want to do, I just want them to know that they can dig and yeah, I want them to yearn for knowledge and just want to understand people and love people and, and really know themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And not do it for anyone else. Throughout the marriage, did you ever think, I just want to get out. I want, I want to change this. I want to leave. I want to, was it ever like, was it ever an option you toyed with? Um, it really wasn't, it really wasn't. And I think a lot of it was fear. A lot of it was, I'm a stay at home mom. I haven't contributed financially to this marriage one single bit. How am I going to, how would I ever walk away from this? I had a really good life in California. I, he provided very well for us and, um, it was so many things. I'd lost all of my self-confidence. I just, yeah. Because when you betray yourself, you really do. You don't even know mm-hmm. who you are at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know what I would do if I did leave. And I, I just, no, I never th- thought of leaving because I. You just thought you'd muscle through. Yeah. And I felt there was some embarrassment with the way that I'd left Utah And, you know, I lost a lot of friends when I left Mormonism and I lost a lot of friends when I was struggling with addiction and I lost a lot of friends when I got help and I lost a lot of friends when I decided I was faking it in Christianity. And it's like, where, where is my support system? You know, every, all of the hard things that happened to me, I, I kind of saw who my true friends were. And most of the time it was pretty isolating to go through that stuff. I felt alone in a lot of it. Okay, so pause for just a second. And I want to acknowledge this. You leapt into Christianity for fear that people would misunderstand you and not accept you if you didn't get married and stick out a marriage and all of the things and you were worried about losing people. Mm -hmm. And now through faking it and betraying yourself, you found out even harder that the other side of it, you lost even more people in a way. Mm -hmm. So what you were trying to avoid ended up almost happening twice as hard. Yeah, it did. Isn't that crazy? That's exactly what happened. And I've never thought of it the way that you just said it, but 
when I when I left my marriage, I lost some of the best people that I'd met. I'm sure. Because their heart is genuine and pure, right? Yeah. And they loved you for that. And I'm sure they can't understand the betrayal part because not everybody has this people-pleasing gene. It's not a gene, I know, but <laughs> but but it feels like it sometimes, trauma right? Response. Yeah, it's the trauma response yeah. of if I make people happy and do what they need, they will love me. Yeah. Right? Because at the base of it all, at the at the bottom foundation of it is we want people to love us. Yeah. So we betray ourselves, whether it be, I like sushi, I like the cubs, whatever it is, <laughs> clear up to, I'll whatever become a Christian, want. whatever, whatever you, you want. Yeah, yeah, I'll be whatever you need. And that in itself is the danger of being a chameleon. It can start small mm-hmm. and it can grow so big and leave you an empty shell because you don't know who you even are anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It strips away everything. Mm -hmm. The fake person and the real person are now gone. Yeah. Yeah. And that fake, that fake version of me that was in California for 10 years, I, I don't think I would even recognize her. I don't think I would recognize her physical appearance. I wouldn't recognize her lack of confidence. I mean, I have changed so much from that, but I still, I still do. I mean, I got emotional just now and I did not anticipate getting emotional, but, but I, I lost so much in, in that exact thing that I was hoping I was doing. So I wouldn't lose. Right. And I lost it all. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you found yourself now or do you feel like it's an ever evolving process? I feel like healing is a is a forever thing. I don't think you get to the end of healing and you're good. I am, I am the happiest version of myself now that I've ever been, but you know, just it's not, I'm not done. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I really believe I'm going to be happier than I am now eventually. Um, but I, I have, it was a long and dark road back that was essentially back to myself. Um, but I do feel, I do feel like I am my most true and authentic self right now, more than I ever have been. And I will never, I will never betray myself like that again. There is no is it a hard habit to break. It is a hard habit to break. Do you catch yourself now <laughs> doing it? I've done a little backsliding yeah. uh, just as I've tried to meet people here and establish new friendships and it's relationships. A very hard, it's a very hard Because it's break. comfortable. It's what's familiar. And for so much of my life, it felt like this is what you do. You change so people will love you. And, um, and I do. I have caught myself here even. I can't think of an exact example, but I have had moments where I've had to tell myself that's not you that's not worth it don't do that for somebody else and and yeah it is it's going to be a lifelong thing but I there's no love or no relationship or no person that I could ever meet that I would see worth that level of self-abandonment again it's not sure because it's not real if you change for love, it's not love. Well, and the only people that are happy are the people outside. Right. And at the core of everything, it's about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you guys can see, 
this chameleon behavior ranges from small things to very large things, and it's very common. And I think one of the takeaways of today's episode is, as Andrea has so eloquently told us, it's never too late to stop. To course correct. And course correct. Yeah. And choose yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, you're going to piss people off on the way Mm -hmm. or you're going to hurt them or you're going to make them sad because your normal routine is to be the chameleon. Mm -hmm. And the minute you say, wait a minute, I don't like that anymore and I'm putting my foot down, it will rock the boat, Mm -hmm. but the happiness is there. And truly all we are all trying to do is be ourselves and find love and connection and what a better way to do that than to start with knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it is, it's a lonely road and there, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance when you, when you choose yourself, there's going to be critics. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be, you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to feel really, really misunderstood. But if you stay true to yourself, then none of that matters. Right. When you know, when you know who you are at your core, then nothing anyone says about you or does or, you know, losing people, none of that matters. Because the right people, if you stay on that path to yourself, true to yourself, the right people come into your life. Like me. Yeah, it's true. We would not be here had we not discussed this and Mm -hmm. gone on our journeys, right? Right. Yeah. We're out of time here. And I think um, Andrea put it so beautifully that she will never, ever betray who she is to herself again. And thank you for sharing that. Because that, I mean, you've had a journey. Everyone has had a journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just, again, share these so that we can hopefully inspire and um, educate everyone out there on issues we've experienced or things we've seen and done and help you be better as we've messed up along the way and learned and improved on. Yeah. All right. So I guess for now, we'll say goodbye. Yes. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. And Andrea, thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you. Bye, guys.